Hey everyone, Mike Rosehart here for another Mike Rosehart Live Show. Sorry I'm late, I'm about almost 15 minutes late. Completely forgot it was the Wednesday Wise Well Show. I was on the phone with actually um, a lender and then my lawyer and then a contractor. And I was like, geez, where did the last two hours of, of time go? So completely uh, missed out on that. I'm trying really, really hard to wrap up a bunch of projects that I'm working on so that by my birthday, uh, or thereabouts around that timeline, I like to go for another year of retirement. So I'm planning, and I'll do another video where I talk a bit about that, but planning to, uh, I guess, do another mini retirement for a while. So that's something that's coming and something I'm excited about. But uh, yeah, trying to keep these streams to 30 minutes. Hopefully people are getting the notification or jumping on. I usually have a good little creative title of some sort, but today I just don't. Um, I don't have anything creative, so I just call it the Mike Rose Art Show. And we're well over 100 episodes, but I was like, the Mike Rosart Show episode 100 plus plus plus. Uh, I don't know what episode we're on. Someone's got to go in and find out what number of episodes we've done, but it's been what? I guess 2018, March, I think I started making live streams every single week. I've never missed a week ever. It's 52 weeks in a year. So, geez, I'm probably at like well, well over 130, 140 at this point. Maybe 150 plus. I don't know. Got a lot of these streams. Bill, how you doing? Good to see you on. Um, what I find is though, that the titling is so, so important. Those people who, who make YouTube and Facebook content, it's all about the titling. If you use the wrong titles, no one clicks. Um, if you use the wrong thumbnails, no one clicks. Just like a standard smile is, you should always try to avoid that. Try to do some shock face. That stuff matters so much. I had no idea how much that stuff matters. Um, and by the way, for those people who are used to jumping on at seven o'clock, apologies, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't ready when I was supposed to, but it looks like we have like no one on but eight people in the stream. Trevor, good to see you on, hey. Extreme clean, good to see you on as well. I don't know whether this, the counter is even active. Sometimes it says zero for me and I people are chatting in the thing, so I never have an idea of whether that's accurate or not. But if you have any questions, jump them down below and I'll ramp for the next five or 10 minutes. And imagine if we actually did the stream with no questions, that would be, that'd be so weird. Um, I'm downstairs in my basement. Um, yeah, I'm just, just chilling down here in uh, one of my offices. And it's empty, as you can probably hear. There is there are no paintings, there's, there's nothing, no bed in here yet. Um, I wanna get a, a bed, and I wanna make this into a YouTube studio, but again, been low priority on my list. I've got a, quite a few number of flips and, and you know a number of other projects that I've got on the go that I wanna wrap up. And once I wrap all of those up, then especially all the properties in my portfolio that have just for some weird reason I've turned over like units have decided to become vacant tenants have left of their own volition and now I have to renovate the unit and turn it around and so I'm in one of those stages where I've just got so many things going on like you know a unit changes over we got to do you know kitchen refresh paint floors but you have eight of those going or ten of those going and um, happy Wednesday William good to see you on that adds up right it becomes you know like a full-time job in some senses which is not what I'm looking for at all, right? So that's something that uh, I'm dealing with and it is what it is, but um, yeah. It looks like we have no questions at all. So I'll just rant for like five minutes and then I guess we will not have a stream today. The first time that there's been no live Q and A. Um, usually I go on, I guess, for first 10 or 15 minutes and just today, so many things going on, I haven't had a chance to think about what I want to talk about or, or anything really. Um, when you talk about overall arching DIY too, good to see you on, welcome. When you talk about overarching planning for, for building wealth, I think 
a realization I've had recently, just sort of documenting my feelings and documenting what's been going on. A key learning piece coming out of that has been real estate is a fantastic vehicle to build wealth. And it's one of those things that I recommend people who are just getting started on the journey um, take advantage of because you can buy, you know, five to one. You can have the bank give you an 80% loan to value mortgage. And it's one of those things where if you take all of that, hi Zoe, how you doing? Yuri, good to see you on as well. Extreme Clean says, what do you think about the market at this point? I'm looking to buy within three to six months. Um, I'll answer that in just a sec here. It depends on which market you're in, by the way. So you have to give me a bit of bit of clarity on that. If you're talking about London, I can speak you know, to London. But if you're talking about another market, I might not have as much uh, clarity on that. So uh, yeah, talking about like one of the key learning pieces is that as you evolve in your wealth journey, you build more wealth. And as you build more wealth, your time becomes more valuable. And I know that sounds like evil or like, I guess, not evil is the wrong word, like egotistical, I guess would be the word, or like sort of arrogant would be another word you could use as a synonym. But it's not, it's just like, let's say you had three or $4 million or $5 million or $10 million or whatever. Let's say you're, you have a hundred million dollars, some huge company, your time, like you can literally make hundreds of dollars a minute if your net worth is that high, right? If your money is allocated smartly. And a lot of wealthy people don't have their money allocated smartly, but it's just, just fact, just math. Like exact, someone just said, it only seems arrogant until one does the math. And like someone, I have a social justice warriors that follow me on social and sometimes they'll comment on my post and be like, you're trying to say that someone's value is only determined by the money that they make. And I'm like, no, I'm saying monetarily speaking, people have different values of time. And that might sound evil to the socialists who are like, hey, we're all equal. We're not all equal. All people are not created equal. Certain people are better at certain things. I am not, for instance, very good at um, a lot of the trades work. Like taping is a good example. Mudding and taping, right? When you're talking about like, after you board, you have to mud and tape, right? I'm terrible at taping. I've always been bad at taping. My tape always ends up bubbly. I was never taught how to do it well. But that's an example of like, I'm worth less than minimum wage doing that task. That's a fact. You put me on taping where I'm taping board all day and I am worth less than minimum wage. I can't generate for anyone more than minimum wage value, uh, probably less than minimum wage value. And so whoever would hire me for minimum wage to do that job would be losing money. I feel bad for that entrepreneur that would want to hire me uh, for that job or that homeowner. So don't hire me for taping. But there's other things that I'm good at where I can make $1,000 an hour. There are certain skill sets that I have where I'll make well over $1,000 an hour. That means that my time could be worth $1,000 an hour. So if someone wastes an hour of my time, and this happens a lot, especially with Instagram, people reach out and they want to take your time. A lot of people just want to take time. It's the same as asking for money, really, but um, it's interesting, right? Have you have this evolution and you realize as your time is more valuable, real estate as an investment class becomes less attractive. It's just a fact. If you make a lot of money per hour, real estate's not that attractive. Real estate is a business, uh, by the way, there are many facets within the real estate business. So sales and anything you can negotiate. So a sales position typically is the one where you can make the most money. It's the most unlimited. So buying and selling of houses is a negotiable skill, right? Being able to buy houses off market as an example, being able to coordinate, you know, strategic value add. There's a lot of value in that, but any renovating work, any landlording, that stuff is low value and doesn't pay well. So if you're doing that sort of task 
as someone who's worth a lot of money, you'll say, you'll realize quickly that real estate is not a good use of time, but it is a great builder of wealth when you don't have those high value, high income skills. So anyway, I want to just say that because people keep, you know, bringing up the, and I have the odd person reach out and say, Hey, I lost money in real estate or, you know, Hey, I make way more money in my side hustle. And I'm like, you're right. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. Real estate is not necessarily the most attractive way to invest. And I think the evolution is eventually getting to a point where uh, everything is outsourced and you're doing private lending. That's like the ultimate way to invest in real estate. And all you do is you have an assistant that you hire. Like I'd like, ideally like to have a full-time um, you know, independent contractor, ideally not an employee, but independent contractor who I, I can outsource all the paperwork to. And if there was a call about you know, someone wanted to borrow money, they talk to my assistant, they go through a questionnaire, we determine if they were you know, someone we want to lend to with my money. If there's a deal that I wanted to fund, they'd look up the comparables for me. I have to do no work and I'd look at the deal in two minutes and tell you, you know, with all the information already gathered for me, all the calling already done, and I'd say fund. And they send in a commitment letter, they get all the paperwork signed, they get my lawyer involved, my lawyer secure the mortgage, done. I just, I didn't bring the money to the bank. When you're wealthy enough, you do private lending, and, or sorry, private banking, and private banking, you don't actually go into a branch anymore. You have a represent, representative you call. Scotiabank has it, BMO has it, most of the banks have it. And at Scotia, I literally call my rep and my rep will bring the bank draft to my lawyers for me. I don't even go to the bank anymore. That's private banking. That's the ultimate evolution as you build wealth, right? And so you get into that lux fire or that more like financially independent, you know, decent sum of money built up and you'll find that's the goal. And so it's hard to shift though from that old mindset where it's like about saving money, about being frugal, those things that worked, that get you a millionaire, get you to the second million, but they're not going to get you to the 10th million, right? You have to change your mindset and it's really hard for me especially, to go from being frugal micromanager to being macro manager, being okay with 70% of what I could do myself, like 70% is quality, 70% is good. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, it's a hard mindset. And I have to learn to say no. Like I had a deal come across my lap actually this week and it was an off market uh, deal with 70,000 upside. And it's decent, like $70,000 is good money. But then I started running the numbers and I'm like, well, there's you know the cost of my money being tied up in that deal and compare that opportunity cost to what my money could be doing. Okay, well, now I could have made 30,000 private lending, let's say, over that six month period it takes to turn that property over. Because it always takes longer than you think, right? By the time you close on it, get it all turned around and then get it rented, it takes longer than you think. And then I was like, oh, there's closing costs. And I ran the numbers of those and the renovations. And I'm like, okay, you know, there's 60, 70 grand profit here. Then I take off what my money could be doing for me, 30 or 40. And I'm like, well, what's all the time to do all of that? And is my time for six months and my stress and my mind share and the risk worth, and there's, there's a higher risk doing a flip or doing a, you know, a burr than there is private lending. Because when you're doing a burr, you know, the, the city could get involved. They could throw something at you, an unknown curveball. You don't know when you open your permit. You don't know what you're going to get into when you open walls up. There's always unknowns, right? And so you need to build a contingency in. And so once you build the contingencies in, and once you build in the cost of you know, outsourcing your time, if you're to get someone else to do everything, then the profit goes down from like 70 to like 40, 40 or 50. And I'm like, oh, I could just private lend and make like 35 for no stress. So I'm like, geez. Anyway, I look at those deals. But before, I, I didn't used to value my time, right? I didn't used to value what my time is worth. I didn't used to value uh, what my money was worth. And that's something that you start to do as you carry on in the journey. You're like, hey, my money should be making money for me. And if my money is making me 20% return and it could make me 15, my real estate deal is only giving me five. That's what I'm getting is 5% for my effort and stress and time and risk. Because the baseline is like 
10 to 15 percent even 10 to 15 percent when you're sleeping private lending right so if your real estate deal is only giving you 20 percent return for the stress even if it's giving you 30 percent return you might say to yourself hey is it worth it for me and for me the answer is no uh, there needs to be a juicy enough deal but i have to tell myself now to say no to those deals where i never would before i'm like oh i'll find a way to make it work um you know where i get the deal done and now i'm like i'm walking away from deals because i know that I'm gonna waste a lot of stress and time. And so for me, it's about reducing stress and improving lifestyle. And that means lower income. And I have to accept the fact that I'll make less not doing real estate deals, just doing lending, but I'm okay with that. And the amount that I'm making from private lending and from whatever other sources I'm involved in are actually more lucrative in many cases from a time, Tron time perspective. Okay, I'm reading all these questions here. What do you think about the market at this point? So in London, I think that the market is a fair tad overvalued. I think that that's a lot, a lot of that is because of the money that is being printed by the government. Uh, Bank of Canada is suppressing interest rates and printing money like you wouldn't believe. So the, the value or buying power of your dollar is decreasing. And so prices of real estate will go up, but they're not really going up. Um, the value of the dollar is dropping, so it's not going up as much as you might see, right? A 20% gain really is like a probably 15% real growth. And even that is, is too much, I think. Our market can't sustain that. Rents are down. Vacancy rates are up across the board. Toronto, New York, um, wherever, LA, people are moving out of the major metropolitans, right? So major metropolitans should become less desirable since there's less demand. Immigration, way down. Um, you know, foreign investment, down. Just down, down, down. And yet the market's going up, up, up. Why? Because the Fed is printing money and they're keeping interest rates artificially the lowest they've ever been in history. We have five-year fixed rate mortgages at 1.5%, 1.5% on a mortgage. Like the bank, you know, how can they make any money when the, when the margin is so slim, right? So I, uh, yeah, I don't know what the right answer is, but I feel like a correction is possible if interest rate, if the government decides to stop, stop subsidizing the economy then we will be in for a bit of a, a rocky, rocky time. So I always plan for rents to be, you know, the rents could drop. I always plan for the fact that vacancy rates could be high. And so I, I budget for all that stuff. Um, if you're looking to buy though, and you're looking to buy for yourself, like a house hack, just buy something where your mortgage is covered. Your mortgage is gonna be a fixed rate mortgage in most cases. So it's not gonna change regardless of what interest rates do, you're gonna be locked in. Um, the other thing is too, likely if you've got a tenant on a one year lease, they're locked in too. And so the rent you're gonna be getting, you'll be getting that for at least a year, which gives you time to pivot. And I think the house hacking way of living is, it's the best way to do it. So if you're gonna you know, buy a house, that's like a duplex or something, or convert it to a duplex, or have some bedrooms you rent out in a single family house, whatever, have a way to share a percentage of the cost of the ownership, that's a great way to live. And that's a more economical and efficient way to live. I hope you're doing well. Thank you, Zoe. Trevor says, I'm looking to buy my first property and house hack after the first of the year, likely after busy season. What would you recommend with COVID in mind? Wait, go for it in Columbus, Ohio. Geez, so I don't know a whole lot about Columbus, Ohio. Um, so I can't give you any market advice on Columbus, Ohio. I, I don't know. Um, but if you're looking to buy your first house hack, I would say the time to do it would be when no one else is looking to buy. And so like you said, busy season versus off season. I don't know how cold it gets in Columbus, Ohio, but my thought is that when it's coldest and closest to the holidays, people are least likely to want to buy a house. 
And so what you end up seeing is the houses look bad because they're not landscaped. There's top, like snow when it's cold. That's the best time to buy a house. Is in, if you live in a climate where it gets cold, when it gets cold and when there's like the landscaping looks the worst, when people are least likely to want to move, people least likely want to move in around Christmas. It's cold, it's dreary, people are focused on the holidays from Thanksgiving to Christmas. A little bit after in January, people are focused on other things. They're not focused on, on buying and moving. Uh, but the spring is when everyone wants to buy and sell. And so that's the time you don't want to buy or sell is in the spring. Uh, that said, there are always deals, so keep your eyes out, you never know. Um, Don Trent says, hey Mike, it's been a long time, just saw you go live, wanted to say hello. Hey Don, good to see you on. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, so Trevor, I wish I had the perfect answer for you, but I would say you can't go wrong house hacking. Even if you're, you buy the top of the market, just know 10 years from now, the real estate market will be higher than it was before. That's just the nature of investors needing to get a return on their capital. That's just, the market always roars in one direction. I mean, there's fluctuations and variability, but it's just the way it is. Bill says, who do you think wins the presidential election in November and will there be any fallout from the results? Stock market, real estate market. So Bill, I'm not an American citizen, so I don't follow religiously, but sort of, I think Trump's probably gonna win. He won last time and no one thought he would win. So, I mean, Joe Biden, and I don't know a ton about him, but it seems like he's the kind of guy who's, um, he's really old and he's got like a, a bit of a, a slowness to him where Trump really appeals, when you're watching Trump, and other than like some of the bullshit that he says, he knows how to convince people of his, of his thoughts and ideas, right? And I think that there's a really big divide in the US right now between the haves and the have-nots. And the middle class is either going towards the haves or the have-nots. And I think the have pile in America who believe in capitalism and believe in the hard work results in, you know, betterment, which is true. Um, that is true. Uh, I, not only do I believe it, but it's like factually true. If you work at a minimum wage job, 60 hours a week, and you save, you will become rich. You become a millionaire in your life, guaranteed. And a millionaire, by definition, puts you in like top 4%. So people make bad choices and that's why, um, anyway, but I don't want to get into that, you know, sort of philosophical, um, discussion, but I, I think Trump will probably win. It doesn't really matter to me that much. I think the stock market is doing better with a Republican at the helm, but yeah, I mean, the stock market would not do that well, I think with a, a Democrat as president. So we should see a drop in the stock market, which means like, I am actually looking to buy a bunch of equities as I, I have a few properties that I'm selling. And I, I continue to sell, by the way, I'm looking to downsize my portfolio uh, to one third of its size. So two thirds of my portfolio, I'm looking to, to get rid of. And I have a lot of properties coming up for sale. Keep an eye out, because I'm looking to retire next year. And uh, you know, I'm like Jordan, right? I'm in and out of retirement <laughs> all the time, but I'm gonna take a year off at least. And um, so part of that journey requires me to, um, to get rid of stresses and get part of stresses is owning little mini businesses and real estate properties when you're talking about real estate, properties themselves are like little businesses and they can be pretty much automated and they're fairly passive and the customer is really easy to acquire because you know everyone needs somewhere to live, but it's a business. I wish you could fire your customer whenever you wanted, but um, anyway, so I'll do some more questions here so I can stay ahead and keep on track for my stream time. Okay, it feels like there's a four. Mike, I've been watching a lot of Ben Mala, just trying to decide what's worth doing once you reach FI. Ben just kept going as I'm approaching this. It kind of makes it feel like there's a fork in the road. You know, William, I think, and I'll go back up and get those other questions. I didn't forget them. 
But it's a good, interesting question. I like it a lot. That's why I picked it out. I saw it before, but I didn't get a chance to read the whole thing. I saw it sort of pop up, but I was speaking, you know, while I was reading it. So, um, I, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs that build serious wealth develop a really good set of skills that are high value. And it feels good to do something where you're respected in the field. Like it feels good to do what you're good at. And so people start to enjoy doing what they're good at. Um, it also is a routine thing. If you've been like this, this is a personal example I'll use. Uh, I used to be a big gamer. I used to love my World of Warcraft, Star Wars Galaxies, Age of Empires 3. By the way, I'm getting back in Age of Empires 3 um, with the new definitive edition. So anyone who's an Age of Empires 3 player or Age of Mythology player, uh, reach out because I'm definitely starting a little clan. We'll be having some fun, playing some games. But um, as an example, gaming. I used to game heavily. Like at 16 years old, I was probably doing like 12 hour days um, playing video games. And it was an important part of my life. It, you know, in those games, I mastered them and I built a lot of skills in MMORPGs that helped later on in life. Like a lot of the economic fundamentals I used to rise up in those games and become you know, wealthy in those games applied in real life too. And I think there is value to certain video games. I wasn't a big shooter fan. I was more a strategy player, like RTS, you know, MMORPG, that was more what I played. But as an example, I started working really hard at 17 and there were periods where I gave up gaming entirely. And I think by the age of 20 or 21, once I got married, uh, I sort of just focused on this fire goal with everything I had about real estate and I focused on that. And with real estate, there's always a problem on the list at all times. All of my properties have something wrong at all times. Maybe it's something stupid like, you know, the eaves troughs need to be cleaned out. Maybe it's something silly like the grass is a little bit too long. Maybe it's like I have a you know, a bum door that squeaks. I know I need to fix it. And there's always a list of things that are like not important that you do whenever you have time. But I have like hundreds of those things at all properties, little minor things. Like my attention to detail is so high that like I'll notice if a window is a little sticky, stupid stuff that like doesn't really matter, but that bothers me. And so what I found is that that list nagged at me all the time. And I just felt like I needed to be productive. This sort of needing to be productive kept me from enjoying my time. I couldn't game like I could before. I sit down for a game now and I finish and I'm like, oh shoot, what should I have been doing? What did I forget to do? Well, I wasn't productive today. And so it's, it's hard to reverse them. Once you become that like workaholic entrepreneur that's extremely successful, one, it's, a, it's like a game that's addicting by the way. Every deal I used to do to make the money, it was addicting and it was a lot of work, but it was extremely rewarding to make a lot of money, right? And to, to see yourself, you know, I've transformed properties from like hell holes to beautiful places that people can call home. And that's a really, really good feeling, right? And so going from like Ben Mala, you're talking about that example, it's hard to stop, I guess. Um, and there's pieces of it you probably enjoy, right? I think there's pieces that Ben loves. I think there's pieces of a business he hates too. But yeah, it's, it's a fork in the road, it's a tough one. For me, I think the best sort of answer is off and on. I think that the best way to retire is to retire and then unretire, retire and then unretire. You really appreciate those months off when you just worked really hard for a period of time. And the same way, if you haven't done anything for like a year and you're unproductive for like months and months, you might get into depression. You might find that like you're not finding a purpose in your life. And so either extreme, like pure fire. Uh, and by the way, I think fire is an amazing thing because what we do when we fire is we chase hobbies that don't necessarily reward us financially, but that make us feel good. And so, yeah, I think that that's a tough one, being in the fork in the road. But I, it is one that 
um, you have to wrestle with and just decide like each day you wake up and say, am I happy doing this? And if, if there are days you wake up where you're not happy doing this, make a change. Lately, I've been not happy doing this. And so I'm making a change and taking a year off. And we'll see, I might get bored and I might try to start some venture or business or whatever, I don't know. We'll see. For me, I think I'm done with landlording. I'm even done with managing managers. It's just, it's tiring um, and it's taxing and stressful. And even if it paid $100 an hour, I wouldn't want to do it. Okay. Um, I'm going to find these places where I missed the questions. Okay, so Extreme Clean says Brantford and Oshawa. I'm not able to save it 20%, so we'll go in the market with 5 to 10% just to get in the market. Extreme Clean, yeah, you, you could go that way. Um, there are some additional fees going 5 or 10% down. You'll, you'll pay more in uh, private mortgage insurance. It probably is cheaper to... If you buy a property that needs a little bit of value add to borrow, you know, the 10% you're short from a private lender at 12% or something, and then refinance 80% loan to value after you've added, you know, added stuff, added value to the property. And you'd be better off than paying the private mortgage insurance. Because you put 5% down, CMHC takes like 4% of your 5% as a fee. So you basically lose your entire 5% down when you buy a 5% down deal. So that's the downside of using that. But you're right, if the deal's good enough and you're in, get, it gets you in the market sooner, uh, and there, you didn't have an option to borrow their, the additional amount. It can make sense. Mike, are you in BTC, so Bitcoin? And if so, what percentage of your net worth is in crypto? Marco, my percentage of my net worth in crypto is zero. Zero, none. I have no crypto holdings at all. Um, yeah, I've just, I have no interest in buying a pseudo currency. I like the technology, by the way, and I, I actually, in my portfolio, am investing in, from a stock perspective in companies that could benefit from the technology, from like crypto uh, blockchain technology, right? Basically the blockchain technology. So I'm, I'm pro investing in the technology. I'm not pro in trying to pick a currency, like pick a horse in the race. The thing is, it generates no cash flow. It's not a business. You're just gambling. Um, you have to just sell it to someone else for more than you bought it for, which is gambling. Um, and I don't gamble, I invest. Uh, did this question. Bill says, I tried to take much of your time on Insta. Just a quick DM for questions. Appreciate the responses too. Thanks. Yeah, it's not necessarily like one person. It's just, I get hundreds of DMs. And so one person, if every person asked me for like even a minute, just for me to read their, people write me long paragraphs and I read everything. Everything people send me on Instagram, I read all of it. And so even the evil stuff that like, I wish people wouldn't send me, but they send me anyway. And that's rare, but I get the occasional. I read it all and all that, if you do that times hundreds of people, it adds up, right? One, per one person sends me a message, oh, can you just look over my floor plans and help me build a secondary dwelling unit? They just spend an hour of your time, Mike. And I'm like, or even a half hour of my time, or even 20 minutes. What they're asking for, they think isn't a big ask, but it's a huge ask because if 10 people ask me that, then my whole week is gone. And all I did all week was just help people on Instagram. It's almost like a job. And I'm not looking for a job. I don't wanna be a coach. It's not something I'm interested in. I don't sell courses. I don't sell coaching for a reason. Uh, I just don't want to do it full time. I don't have an interest in, you know, I'll help the occasional person here or there, but I just don't have an interest in that. Um, I like to just give back for free when I can, when it's convenient, when it works with my schedule. Okay, I'm gonna wrap this up. My wife says our, our nanny's going home and I'm sorry guys, but I have to be there for my kids. So I will pick three more questions. Uh, and then I'll have to wrap it up. I'm so sorry. If you take this question, you paste it in the comments after the video's been uploaded for replay, I will 
go there and answer it. I usually answer all the comments on YouTube unless one pops up and I, I miss the notification, which happens occasionally, but I, I try to answer all the questions that, that uh, get asked. So Zoe says, has your university education aided your success in real estate investing? I'm planning on beginning a trade to fund my investing career. Thank you for the weekly live streams. Thanks, Zoe. Great question. Um, yes and no. So yes, in the sense that there is value. I have learned something from my university education, like especially my time at Ivy in my, my uh, I guess post degree studies um, or like upper, upper year studies. It was, you know, the case studies there and the exposure to different businesses and the exposure to different methodology in business and the accounting specifically was a big one. Um, and the, you know, entrepreneurial finance pieces, those were huge. Uh, being able to, to pitch a deal to a lender or being able to, you know, those kinds of skills were transferable. So yes, for sure, my education helped me. Did it provide $100,000 of value, which is what my education cost me? Um, did my hundred thousand dollar six six figure uh, Ivy education did it bring enough value? I guess is it justifies? Is there a better question I think to ask? Because it did add value for sure, and I'm a better real estate investor because of that education and training. I'm a better business person because of my finance degree. Like there's there's no doubt about it. I I'm smarter. I'm more knowledgeable. I'm, I'm yeah. I just I'm better for sure. I'm a better version of myself. But $100,000 invested. I went to school ten, over 10 years ago. I was in my dorm rooms over 10 years ago when I discovered Fire Now, over a decade. And in my first year in my dorm room, 10 years ago, you know, if I had known that I could have went into a trade and from 17 to 21 or 22 or whatever, you know, however long I was in school, um, it's four years, I got through four years. Uh, if I just invested my time into a trade, then I would have made, you know, 40,000, 60,000, 70,000, 75,000. And I'm, I'm pretty, like whatever I set my mind to, I'm pretty good at it. I'm sure that whatever trade I would have taken up, I would have ended up becoming proficient at it. Um, I learned that through real estate investing that I, I'm a smart enough guy, I can figure out how to put, you know, read some blueprints and, and do what it's told. And the more you practice a mechanical skill, the better you get at it. So it's just time in, right? And so I would have probably taken plumbing or electric, electrical, something that would have been a higher value trade, probably electrical, again, give my, my strong math scores and things like that, I probably would have done well in that trade. And like, anyway, so let's say I'd gone that trade, right, gone that way. Then I would have had, you know, 60, 60, 75, 75. So 150 plus 120 is $270,000. And I wouldn't have had to pay $100,000 for um, tuition. So I would have $370,000 pre-tax in my pocket to invest in real estate. If I just done the trades and lived at home and been super frugal, I wouldn't have lived at home because I moved out early, but let's just say I, you know, live with my girlfriend, now my wife, I, you know, just live super frugally uh, and invested all of that. I would probably have like that money invested 10 years later is probably about a million dollars. And the way I invested in real estate, probably a, a couple million dollars. So did my Ivy degree provide two, $3 million of today value? Definitely not. So was it the better financial choice? No. For someone who wants to early retire, who's only going to be in the career world for a couple of years, I don't know if the value is there. We'll see. Maybe my productivity is that much better with the Ivy degree that you could argue, you know, 10 years from now when I have 20 or 30 million and my network just keeps growing. Because your net worth keeps growing. I'm so young that like I should, if I keep growing, keep working and keep investing smartly with compound interest, the magic of compound interest, you know, over 50 years, I should have 100 million or 200 million or 300 million. When you look back and I have a quarter billion dollars net worth or something, 
that's when you know you might say to yourself, uh, "Geez, then you know it was worth it." So I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. Hey, we got a super chat. Kaylee says, uh, "Hi, Mike. Thanks for the live stream. Sending support for the new studio. Thank you. Appreciate that. I will take this twenty dollars net of YouTube's fees, so I'll get like eleven dollars of it. And I don't know exactly what YouTube takes, but I think that's roughly what they take." And I will put that towards some sound panels. We'll put them on the wall. Some sound panels, you know, over on this wall or something, or maybe this wall. Thank you for the, the support. I appreciate it. I got to go, though. I got to do one more question. My wife's like, you know, she's really wanting that, uh, that me to come upstairs so that Andy can go home. Uh, government assistance. I don't know about that in Canada. There's just a CMHC program. I'm going to do this question because it seems like I'm trying to pick an easy one that I can finish relatively quickly. Is it possible to use a home equity line of credit to fund a deal which you don't plan to hold long? Yep. Theoretically, yeah. Six months maybe instead of a term mortgage which would have penalties for pre-termination. Yes, I think that that's probably a smart way to do it. Or even private mortgages make sense and a term of less than six months, a-lender mortgages don't make sense. The breakout fees, excuse me, the breakout fees on an a-lender mortgage, like with Scotiabank, TD, BMO, Top Bank, actually the breakout fees destroy all the value you get from the low interest rate. So it's it's deceiving you like, oh, I got a 3% mortgage, but your breakout fees are $10,000. So it would have been cheaper just to get a 12% mortgage for your flip. Good evening, Andrew. Uh, i try to pick one more question. Uh, no, my membership program is closed right now. So uh, that's just something I'm, I'm making a pivot to sort of retire. The people that are in my program now, um, they can stay. And so it's dwindling down to, it'll be, eventually be nothing probably, just a couple of friends that I help out. But I might start it up again in 2022, we'll see. Thank you all so much for watching. I gotta go, it's been 34 minutes and I started this stream super late. So I promised my wife I would go and help relieve her once the nanny has gone home. So thank you all so much for watching. I appreciate the support. I'll take that $11 net of the 20 and I'll invest it in the studio here. We're gonna get a studio going and uh, the live streams will be that much better. Maybe I'll even invest in some better equipment than my phone. Um, actually, I have better equipment. I just need to set it up. I can get my laptop here and my camera and my sound stuff. It's just, it's in a box and I haven't gotten around to it. Thank you so much for the support though. It means a lot. It keeps the channel alive. And uh, when you donate your time or your money to me, your eyeballs by watching me right now, or your, you know, vote with your wallet and provide some support that way, those are the two best ways to show that it actually means something to you. And despite if I need the money or not, it means something to me when someone cares enough to give me money. It says, or give me time. It says, hey, um, you know, I care about what you're doing. And so it's like if I were to write a book and I eventually do want to write a book and people were just to buy the book. It's not about the money. I probably would donate the money. But it's one of those things where like someone's willing to pay for something I've written. It means something. It means that they appreciate what I have. So what I have to offer. Anyway, thank you all so much. I got to go. Uh, I really appreciate you guys all watching today. And you know the secret to unlocking a wealthier you. Three levers. Spend less, earn more, and maximize returns. Those are the three ways maximize returns on the difference. Bye, everyone. I'll see you next week. And uh, thank you all so much. I'll see you in the comments. And I'll see you on Instagram, at Mike Rosehart. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night. If I missed your question, throw it in the comments. And I promise I'll answer it once this video is published.